Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ether Podcast, where uh, we've been doing a different segment, I guess. This is uh, not our usual podcast, but we want to try to do a different series in which we invite different people to teach us something. And our very first episode of sort of this podcast segment was done by uh, Johnny Reyes, who spoke about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And when we got done recording, the scoundrel basically said that he had more to say. And if he could come back for another week and do a second part, and because we like him, we agreed. And so this time we're going to do a series, well, not a series, but part two, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and sort of how you bridge that gap. So he is back. Uh, he, uh, again, just to tell, him, tell you a little bit about him, he is a college ministry minister in the Palm Beach Church of Christ in Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, I've known him for many years. I've seen him sort of grow up in the faith. And uh, I'm responsible in a way for all the good things that he does, all the bad things. I blame his parents, really. And uh, <laughs> thank you for being with us, Johnny. And uh, so, yeah, man. So uh, if you want to sort of summarize what we talked about uh, last time. So for the people who listen to the first part so they can refreshen up a little bit about what we talked about. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's good to be back. Uh, I remember differently. I remember you invited me to be back. <laughs> That's all right. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so last week we talked about the, the, the Spirit of God being uh, the Spirit that really was responsible for creating creation um, and bringing order into it and all that. And, and then we talked about how in Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, there was a new sort of chaos that was developed, and now the new world of the Spirit throughout the Bible is to rearrange that chaos by bringing people back into the first couple of chapters, right, uh, to, to be the people who God intended them to be in the very beginning, right? Um, so that was the main focus last week, and uh, we're not going to have time to get into all of it, into all the different aspects of the Spirit in the, new Test- in the Old Testament, I mean, uh, but really what you see, the Old Testament developing a really solid foundation on how to be able to understand the spirit in the new testament right by seeing how the spirit worked through the judges the prophets the kings and how the spirit worked at a very individual level with certain people but it was utilized to to guide a whole nation of people uh to to establish a people for god um so that that's kind of what you see in in the old testament and uh, up, up until the prophecies towards the end of the Old Testament with uh, uh, the prophecies regarding the coming spirit, right? And they, they established the, the final expectation from the Jewish people of what the spirit is supposed to be, what the spirit is really all about. It summarizes a lot of, a lot of what the spirit has been trying to do, but at a much greater level now. So leading into the New Testament, that is the expectation that Jewish people have for the spirit when the spirit comes down on people working through people. Um, so yeah, that's, um, I think that's a, a summary of somewhat of what we talked about last week. Yeah, sure is. So this week we wanted to talk about, um, sort of the, the Holy spirit in the new Testament. And before we really get into that, so mm-hmm. bridge the gap for us here, like how, how do we go from one to the other, what are some of the uh, similarities 
or if there isn't, there isn't. But I think part of what we're going to talk about is that it's exactly the same. Um, right. But so bridge the gap for us here, because I think people tend to think that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is different from the one in the New Testament, but it's not. So sort of bring those two together for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's absolutely the same. Uh, what, what's the same is that, well, it's, a, it's the same, you know, uh, powerful spirit that is really God in our presence. It's, it's a it, it, lack of a better word. It's, it's a limited version of God in our presence that won't absolutely annihilate all of us. It's, it's, it's God's presence that we can handle. So in that way, it's the same. And, and the role that the spirit is trying to achieve is the same in the Old Testament as it is today, right? So the bridge between the Old Testament and the New, hap- and the New Testament uh, really happens at, at Pentecost, where Pentecost is the fulfillment, the partial fulfillment of the prophecies that end the Old Testament regarding the Spirit, right? So the, 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 the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is actually the bridge. It's where you have 500 or so years where uh, nothing about the Spirit is recorded. You know, there are no prophecies. Uh, nothing, nothing about the Spirit is recorded. Nothing has changed from the Old Testament. But then when the day of Pentecost happens, all these expectations that the Jewish people were waiting on st- start to take place. Um, and that changes the course of the rest of humanity. And uh, being able to understand Pentecost, which is probably one of the most controversial uh, one of the most controversial topics in the Bible in terms of how people interpret it uh, is, re- is really facilitated if you have a solid understanding of the prophetic messages, specifically in Ezekiel uh, chapter 30, chapters 36 and 37, Joel chapter 2, and Jeremiah. What? Hold on, uh, I'll tell you right now. Uh, in Jeremiah, uh, sorry, in Isaiah chapter 32, not Jeremiah. In Isaiah chapter 32. So being able to understand those prophecies will really help you to understand what goes on at the day of Pentecost and being able to understand the role of the Spirit in uh, in miracles and in signs, things like that, will help you understand the events that take place in terms of the speaking in tongues, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, from then on, uh, the role of the Spirit, though the same, takes place in a much larger scale. So instead mm-hmm. of it being in a very individual level, right, like through the kings or through prophets, right. uh, through individual leaders, it really happens through the masses of people. Um, so that's really the main difference. Well, when you say the masses of people, you mean the church? Yeah, yeah, believers, right? Uh, faithful Christians who now get to experience this, the, the Spirit the way the kings experience the spirit. Now, uh, this concept of the dwelling spirit uh, makes it a little bit different, but not all that much. The difference is in the permanence aspect of it. Uh, But in what the spirit is trying to achieve, not really. Well, just just to go back and to refresh people's minds, one of the things that we talked about last time was how in the Old Testament the spirit came... And might have temporarily come to a person, right? Maybe to accomplish a certain task. Right. It wasn't like an indwelling forever. Or so, so for example, uh, Gideon is going to battle. And maybe four 
the duration of the battle, the spirit comes upon him. When the battle is done, it leaves. Yeah, or, or sometimes not. Sometimes it would remain. Sometimes right. it would remain and it would help them even like through their leadership and the wisdom. Like you have people like Moses, people like Joshua, people like David, right. people like Solomon who had the spirit within them for the duration of their lives sometimes. You know, the difference though is the the guaranteed aspect, the permanent aspect of the spirit to where like, for example, you, you have, you know, David in, in, the, in the Old Testament when he falls into major sin and he understands the implications of that, how oftentimes the spirit will, will depart someone. He saw departing Saul because of his arrogance, because of his sin. Right. So he, would be, he was begging God, like, God, please don't remove your spirit from me. That sort of thing. So he knew that he had God's spirit with him, but his sin could be the reason for the spirit departing. You know, the difference in the New Testament now is that there isn't that fear of like because of sin. I'm going to lose the spirit at the part, right? Like the spirit didn't guarantee David's salvation uh, the way it guarantees a disciple's salvation today. Right. Uh, now you talked about these prophecies uh, and us understanding those in order to understand what's happening in Pentecost. So explain the gist of those prophecies a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, well, the, the, the prophetic, those prophecies have... Uh, they have similar messages and they all talk about how there will be a time when God's spirit is going to kind of be poured into uh, this world and all people will have the ability to partake in uh, experiencing uh, the spirit. It, these messages talk about, um, they, they, they have like an undertone of judgment coming in. And a lot of these messages are, are a call, they are prophetic of what's going to happen, but they're also a call to the present uh, nation of Israel to repent, mm. right? In Joel chapter two, for instance, he, he talks about like, he talks about an army of locusts and all that stuff. And it, it's a message about like repentance. So when Peter talks about it, when Peter uh, preaches about it on the day of Pentecost, he, that specific message is meant to get people to turn their hearts to God, Correct. right? Um, so being able to understand what, what it presently meant for the people in the Old Testament will help you understand like, you know, what, what is required for somebody to even be able to participate in this new creation. Um, in Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, it talks about a whole new creation. In Isaiah chapter 32, it talks about it in the same way. There's a whole new creation that is going to take place when the spirit is poured out upon everyone. Um, so it, it, it really sets, uh, an expectation for the believers um, when they start to experience it. You know, I, I love how like in, in the end of chapter two, you have, you know, 3000 people being baptized, coming to faith. And uh, it makes a lot of sense why you have so many people turn to God in that moment because they just witnessed something that they've been waiting on for 500 years and their expectations are out of this world, you know, um, because they really understood what those prophecies were all about. They really understood how powerful the spirit was in the Old Testament. So when they see it taking place, uh, these people are, are convinced. These people are blown away by what's happening, you know. Uh, so that, that's, that's the idea of being able to that, – that's the importance of being able to understand what those prophetic messages were all about and what they were uh, insinuating. Uh, now, it, regarding 
miracles and wonders and signs in the Old Testament. Uh, that's also very, very important to understand why it is that they took place when they took place. What was the purpose of miracles and signs in the Old Testament? Because when you see miracles and signs in the New Testament and, and you know, regarding Acts, you see people speaking in tongues, giving a reason for why those things happen have a lot to do with the Old Testament, why those things happen in the first place. Um, you know, most of the time it being as a sign to uh, bring credibility to a message, to right. a new prophetic right. message, right? So speaking in tongues was not the event itself in Acts. You know, it, like Pentecost wasn't an introduction of a new prophetic gift. Tongues was simply a sign of the Spirit being poured out. That was the event, the Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. It wasn't the, the fact that now people can speak in tongues. That was just a sign, right? So, like, it's not like people just they had the ability to speak in tongues from then on. It's, it's not like it was used for any other reason other than, like, you know, bring credibility to the prophetic messages that were being fulfilled. Right. So it's like uh, God sends Moses to speak to Pharaoh. And exactly. he turns his staff into a snake. Which is supposed to let Pharaoh know, like, hey, this, this is, is the power of God. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you see that in Acts chapter 2, and then you see, you know, so many events taking place, especially in the book of Acts, where you see, like, the, the history of the, the first century church, right? Like, kind of like the beginning of evangelism and all that stuff. And uh, when you look at the miracles that take place, when you look at the signs and the wonders that take place, it, it'll, it's a lot easier to understand why it's happening when you look at the pattern, right? Right. Uh, so, anyway, yeah. So, um, in a sense, like, and not that I want to take a huge uh, theological uh, diversion here, but it's even speaking of um, the the gifts of the Spirit now, and especially the miraculous gifts, because yes. the, the coming of the Spirit and the coming of the kingdom has already been affirmed by the miracles that they were performing in the book of Acts, we shouldn't uh -huh. necessarily expect to have, to have the same kind of miraculous powers, per se, because the function of right. those miracles has already been uh, fulfilled in that it's been confirmed because Correct. those people were able to do those things like we absolutely. confirmed it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean... To, to say that God can't perform miracles through people today uh, would be blasphemous. Obviously, uh, God's not limited to such things. And, you know, right. who knows, maybe evangelizing to a tribe that has never, you know, heard of these things. Maybe maybe that would be a very appropriate time for miracles to actually take place. Right. But right. So my power to be able to turn uh, full-grown dogs back into puppies isn't necessarily right. from the Spirit. I may have a demon Correct. in me. <laughs> Yeah, but but you know, even I'm kidding, like by the uh, way, I don't have that. Power. <laughs> really, uh, but but for example, like the way people use miracles today, right? To to bring healing, to bring uh, to to make people's lives better, like that. That is not what you see in the New Testament, right? Even right. Jesus doing that, his miracles were meant to show people that he had the power of God. Now he chose to show those miracles by healing people because there's no better way than to utilize that. He could have flown if he wanted to. Right. Right. But he, but, he was compassionate. He was caring. Right. Like right. his mission is still to, to, you know, bring healing and all, all those things. So why not use it in that way? But that's not why he did it. Right. Like 
the, the true purpose for that was to bring credibility to who he was. Like, for example, uh, another really controversial uh, passage in the Bible uh, is in Acts chapter 10, right, where you have Peter goes to evangelize to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And what you see is Cornelius uh, being filled with the Spirit. People in his household are filled with the Spirit to speak in tongues. And, uh, and, and then Peter goes ahead, like, and he's convinced that, you know, God has truly allowed the Gentiles into his kingdom. Right all that stuff. And then Peter's like, well, now I should baptize him. Right. So the controversy comes in where, you know, people will point to that and say like, well, he was saved when the spirit came, you know, indwelled him, if you will. Uh, you can't even say that the spirit was indwelling because the idea of indwelling is the spirit making the home in someone like the spirit can come inside anybody, whether it's planning on making it home or planning. Or right. I mean, the spirit came in on, you know, Saul's guards who were evil guys. Like, that idea doesn't make you saved. It doesn't like the spirit coming inside of you doesn't necessarily save you. You know what I'm saying? The spirit can come in to do whatever. The spirit came in Cornelius to specifically show a sign uh, that brings credibility to the message that Gentiles are now also included. It, it was let me let me put it this way: prophets or miracles, wonders, and signs are for non-believers, right? Right, right, right. right. In this concept, Peter and his and and the other disciples were non-believers. They did not believe that the Gentiles were to be included. Yeah. Uh, so right. it, it was for them. It wasn't for Cornelius. It wasn't for his household, right? It, it was for Peter and, and for the other disciples. But like literally so, God went out of his way to try to convince Peter like, hey, what I told you exactly. was going to happen is happening. Right, right, right. So see, looking at the power of the Spirit in that way, that role of the Spirit in that way can uh, can answer a lot of questions. Sure. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they can really facilitate with it with, with so much of the interpreting. Right. And sort of and even speaking about the interpreting before uh, we started and part of the reason why I wanted to um, to bring you back is to explain sort of the um, the spirit and the eschatology of the spirit, if that makes sense. And for those yeah. of you who are listening to this who don't know what eschatology is, eschatology just basically a fancy word that refers to the end times. So like yeah. things related the to the end, times, end right. of our world and the coming back of Jesus and the kingdom or the full right. coming of the kingdom, uh, yeah. that all that falls under the umbrella of eschatology. And certainly <clears throat> the spirit has a role in that. So what is that role? And well, well let me back up here for a second because I think one of the things that you talked about when we ended our last podcast that really intrigued me and part of the reason why uh, I invited you back is because one of the things that you said is that Paul, Paul's understanding of the Spirit has very much related to eschatology. So yeah. talk a little bit about Paul and how he seems to understand the Spirit and then get more into detail about the eschatology of all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Studying out the spirit in Paul's letters is—it's um, very important to do. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, along with Jesus, I mean, it is a central component. Is what ties everything together. It is what describes Christian life uh, the most. Uh, not understanding the spirit in, in Paul's letters will really uh, limit your your entire understanding of what Paul is talking about. He, he's really the guy who gets into the theology of the spirit the most. Right. right? So Johnny um, just said that if you don't understand 
how Paul understands the spirit, you don't know anything. Is basically basically he just said uh, no no <laughs> you're just missing a lot. I, I, you won't. It will be so hard to fully grasp what he's talking his about. message because it's all tied to uh, to his framework of the spirit that he puts together. Um, and he's the one that gets into the theology of the spirit the most. He's the one that kind of breaks it down more than anyone else. I mean, Jesus talked a lot about the spirit and, you know, after understanding a lot of what Paul talks about, because he breaks it down, going back to the gospels and, you know, reading the red letters and all that, uh, you will see how much, you will see how much Jesus talked about the spirits tied to, to the end of times, how much Jesus really was the one who, uh, kind of originated all these ideas that Paul had to begin with. But Paul's the one that really makes it clear for disciples, right? He's the one that kind of breaks it down. So um, so this is, I'm going I'm to try to break down Paul's framework here in, in, a, in a way that, that it's kind of makes sense. Paul starts talking about the spirit in terms of the spirit is uh, at Pentecost, at Pentecost, in the bridge that ties the Old Testament with the New Testament, Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit into our reality, right? To where now, though we are still in this realm, in this earthly realm, uh, imperfect realm of the flesh, we are now being able to experience things of the future. We are now being able to experience things of God's realm in this world, right? Now, the the spirit being poured out means that now uh, that the end has been set in motion for Paul, right? That now the world that we have lived in has been condemned and it is passing away, right? So I, I put together a, uh, a little Venn diagram here just to help make sense of things, right? So where you have, this is where we lived and then this is, you know, this is what happens at Pentecost where Jesus comes, he pours out his spirit. And then you have this God's realm kind of comes in and it starts to kind of partake in our reality of things. Invade. So see, hold on. For those of you who yeah. are listening to this and not necessarily watching it, uh, there's yeah, two circles. This is the podcast. There's two circles. One that has a, that has flesh written in it and another one that has a spirit written in it and they intersect. Right. It's a Venn diagram. Right, they intersect, and in the intersection is the cross, basically. Right, so, you know, time is moving forward to where you have this reality who is setting in, who will eventually fully eclipse the reality of the flesh. Right, right? This, the reality and, of the spirit will eventually take completely over the reality of the flesh. Exactly, so the way Paul talks about it, you know, when you, when you read some of his letters, he talks about the spirit being the down payment for a future inheritance, right? He talks about the spirit being, he, he uses three different metaphors that explain this concept or the spirit being a seal, a seal. right? Or, or, or the spirit being the first fruits of what is to come. That one most specifically talk about how like the first fruits being like, this is, you're going to be able to, you are seeing what is to come. Like it's a, it's a metaphor that, you know, it's a, it's a harvesting metaphor, right? So like when the first fruits uh, come in harvesting, it, it tells you what is about to come. If the first fruits are healthy first fruits, you know that, you, right. you know, your harvest will be a healthy harvest and that it's right around the corner, you know, right? You don't have like this letter in the mail coming in saying your harvest is right around the corner. No, you, you, you see the first fruits come up and that's how you know something is about to come around the corner. 
Right. And he talks about the spirit being the first fruits, right? To where like we're experiencing God's reality in a way in our world, but they're the first fruits, meaning like we are soon going to experience the fullness of it. And when God's fullness arrives, that means the end of what we know no. of, right? Because, right, because we talked about what it means when God's fullness takes place in our reality. Like it, we can't handle it, right? And, and that's kind of like his idea. Well, so, so let, talks, me, let me uh, sort of quickly summarize what you're saying so everybody understands. Yeah. So basically, in both, in an individual aspect and in a the world overall aspect, mm-hmm. uh, our world is dying. Yes. And our flesh is dying. And what is taking it over and what is coming more and more to life is the spirit realm, if you will, the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and so we are part of a dying world and that world is going away and what's coming as time progresses is a full-blown expression of the spirit, the full-blown kingdom. And right now, we're seeing a little bit of an overlap. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So, for example, like if you read in Romans 8, he does a really good job explaining this concept there. You know, it's starting in the second half of Romans 8, um, when he talks about uh, glory and suffering or something like that. I think that's what it's titled in most Bibles, uh, starting in verse uh, in verse 23. Or no, no, starting in verse 7. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. The second half of Romans 8, <laughs> he, he talks about he talks about our he kind of describes what our existence in this time is like as disciples, right? He's assuming here is like you are a disciple, you are now a spirit person, you have the spirit within you. He 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 uses the uh, the metaphor of, of of birth pains, right? He talks about like right now we are in labor pains where we are we are still suffering in this world because we still you know we're still humans in the flesh, though uh, though we are experiencing the spirit. Is we're not fully experiencing this period. So it's kind of like we're in these birth pains where things are still painful, yet what it's going to produce is a new birth in the end, right? right? So the scriptures in the, pro- the the old prophetic messages about the coming spirit, when it talks about this whole new creation, this beautiful, perfect creation, right, where there's justice and, and there's peace and all that, that is not yet taking place. That is not yet taking place. That is going to take place when God's glory f- fully comes in. That is going to take place when when the spirit fully gives birth right now we're in the labor pains. Right. And that mindset is really crucial for Paul because he doesn't want people to have the wrong expectation of what it means to have the spirit. It does not mean that now everything is going to be perfect the way, you know, people expected when they read those prophecies about a new creation. Right. But because the spirit is very much involved, there is supposed to be a transformation taking place anyway. The fruit of the Spirit, it's still going to bear in your life. Right. right? So if you read in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about that the fruit, that the Spirit will still bear fruit uh, in this world of things of the future world, if you will. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you will see signs of peace and joy and love, um, though it will not be all perfect. The right. way it will be in the future. Well, and you actually just made me, me made me think of something, because 
one of the things that Paul talks about constantly that I think we don't talk about often and I think we don't really want to talk about either is sort of this idea, and even Jesus talks about it, is sort of this idea that we are supposed to suffer. Yeah. Because Jesus suffered. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that also ties into this whole idea of the Spirit in a, in a few ways, one of which is that, like you said, this is the birth pains, right? And yeah. uh, having seen a birth twice through my wife, having been there with her, her having squeezed my hand to the point that it was numb, right? <laughs> Before the joy of a baby comes, there's a lot of suffering. Yeah. And in a sense, um, because we're sort of in this in-between stage, right? Right. We're going to suffer. Absolutely. And that is a normal consequence of the Spirit and a normal consequence of the kingdom coming. And to a certain extent, it makes sense because I think part of also what's happening in in that... Um, there's an overlap. There's things that don't belong. You know what I mean? Like right. we're gonna suffer because we are, we are turning into creatures, right. in a sense that are not of this world, right? And the mere fact that we are fitting in less and less, and if we are indeed being transformed by the Spirit, yeah. there are going to be things that that we're about and things that we. Uh, believe that are going to be opposed by a different world. It's just the bottom yeah. line. And so I think even this idea that we're supposed to suffer, I think if we are indeed being spiritual, we are going to be weird and we are going to suffer. People are going to go like, why are these people being this way? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it, it's so important to understand this framework that Paul uh breaks down the, 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 this framework that he emphasizes because one, it, it puts you in this place where you expect to experience things of this world, like you just mentioned, right? Suffering. Uh, but you don't lose hope because you understand what the spirit is because you understand the spirit is evidence of what's to come. That's how he talks about it. Right. right. He talks about it, it, it. It's a seal. It's, it's a deposit, right? It's guaranteeing this future reality that is overlapping. And it, it guarantees that you are going to partake in, in something incredible. Like this is not the end for you. And it builds in this, this sense of like confidence and it gives you uh, the motivation to persevere through these times because the spirit becomes evidential of what's to come. You know? So it, he really balances things out where he do, your expectations don't become unrealistic right to where you expect things to be perfect now and for God to fix all your problems because now you have the spirit. Uh, but you also don't lose hope when things get difficult, you know, um, because the spirit is evidence that you are about to partake in, a, in an incredible future glory. Um, so that, that being your foundation and understanding the spirit can really guide your, your walk with God going mm-hmm. forward. Uh, and it'll make a huge difference. And that's kind of what he builds upon, right? Uh, because after, you know, after talking about, after nailing down this idea 
right, uh, of eschatology in the spirit, then he begins to really explain, well, what, what's supposed to be happening in this in-between time? Like, what are we supposed to expect, right? Obviously, we understand that suffering will take place, but what do we expect with the spirit? Um, and, and that is the next, uh, the next concept that is so important for, for disciples to understand. And really, what you're trying to understand is what, what is the role of the spirit, right? You're not supposed to expect specific things that are supposed to be happening, but like, if you understand what the role of the spirit and what it is that the spirit is trying to achieve, you will make more sense of how the, the spirit is supposed to be affecting you uh, in, in your daily life. Um, I don't know if you have any, any questions or thoughts. I can kind of try to explain a little bit of that if you want. And I guess you can elaborate on this, on, on this a little bit more. Is that even the fact that we we have the spirit is like you were saying it's supposed to be testament to the fact that we now belong to something else like we're no longer we are still right. part of the flesh talking about the, yeah. the circles you drew right we're still part of the flesh but not fully right and um and I think that that has its consequences, you know what I mean? And I love yeah. the fact that you, that you said that those consequences, we're supposed to sort of look at them and experience them with hope because we're not moving backwards, we're moving forward. And so we're, we're being less and less part of the flesh yeah. and more and more part of the spirit. And I yes. think one of the ways in which we're supposed to experience life and it's interesting because, you know, we, we just ended our series in Mark and uh, s sort of one of the things that we kept going back to, especially as we were going towards the end of the book of Mark. And it's funny because I feel like this has come up in, di come up in different conversations that I've had. Uh, and we may have even talked about it in our last podcast. I think, dude, like one of the things that I think the Paul and the early Christians really understood is this idea that we were in the end times and from their perspective the end like the end of it all was coming really soon like they were expecting it that it was going to be like tomorrow right. you know what i mean yeah. and so they really lived with this expectation of like this could all end like tomorrow right we don't live that way like, I think now that we, we like, uh, a couple of millennia have gone by, like 2,000 years, over 2,000 years removed from all of those things happening, we now look at it and go like, yeah, it could be in another 1,000 years. And yes, it could be in another 1,000 years, but it could also be, like, in the next 10 seconds. Yeah. You know That's what crazy. I mean? And, and I think the, the early Christians like had this so, so much in the forefront of their mind. And even not only Paul, but Peter and, and they, they really drove that point home. Like, man, like, A, we don't belong this, to this anymore. And B, right. the, the end could come tomorrow. And I think this idea, and I think the spirit and understanding the spirit is supposed to remind us of that, that, that we are we it's the end times man yeah 
Yeah, you know, man, I have different thoughts regarding that. Um, part of it, I, I agree with when you say like they, you know, they they didn't know when this was going to happen, and to them, it could happen at any point, right? And I think for us, that mindset becomes a lot more difficult since it's been 2000 years and nothing has changed. And we're like, well, what's, you know, what are the odds that it's going to change now? Right. It's a lot more difficult for us to have that mindset, but I don't actually think that that was what motivated Paul and a lot of these people, because I think they understood God's value in his creation. Right. And that God wasn't just trying to get rid of his creation, right? God wanted to transform his creation and have a people in this world that would represent his name. Right. So for Paul, his understanding of being transformed to to live according to the spirit had more to do with representing God in this world than being ready for when God's realm completely eclipsed ours. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, because that's what was God that's what God was trying to do all along, starting right, in right, Genesis right. chapter one and two. He wanted to create a people in this world that would represent him that would reflect his glory right that's what he wanted right um so that's how they would talk about our reality in this world right right it's like now you know paul talks about flesh in a couple of different ways he talks about flesh in the sense that he is he is physically flesh right he meaning like he is a human being in an imperfect body but he also talks about flesh not in the physical sense but he talks about flesh as a way of life as a way of this world, you know, a, a lifestyle that is governed by the wisdom of the flesh, the wisdom of humanity, you know? So he talks about flesh in two different ways. He talks about being flesh, but now that you have the spirit, not living according to the flesh, right, right. right? Now you live according to the spirit, meaning now you live, now you were expected to represent a futuristic way of living in the present times. Right, yeah. You know, and that was their, uh, that was like what they uh, tried to pursue. That's how they would try to align their, their way of thinking. Right. And, and so, well, I don't know that I was necessarily meaning that it was their motivation because that's not really uh -huh. the point I was trying to make. I think, if anything, to sort of put it uh, whole, right, to, to, to uh -huh. patch, pack, package it nicely in a nice little uh, muffin size bite of understanding, right? <laughs> So, um, this idea, and I think they, they all go together, and I think they, they, in the yeah, end they all complement each other, right? Because understanding uh, that the spirit is sort of a sign of what's coming, right? Right. Understanding that that moment could come at any time, and understanding that while we wait, we are now sort of representing God on this earth. Right. I think those three things, like they all, yeah. they all feed each other. They do absolutely. And I think it's even a, it's even a struggle that, that well, not necessarily a struggle, but I think even that whole idea was very much uh, present with Paul. In that, even when he writes his letter to the Philippians, he's like, "Man, like I struggle whether like I should go to God or I should stay here." But I think he says something very interesting in that he says like it's it's a far greater value for me to be right. here. You know what I mean? Right. And I think even this idea that you talked about of, of how, like, they understood the value of still being here and and sort of, and I guess we can get into this more in depth because I know that you want to talk about this too, 
sort of how uh, the spirit has this great value in the community of yeah. believers and how that is supposed to sort of be a testament to the world of like, man, look at this group of people, like you just said, they're living in a way that isn't of this world, but how that's supposed to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Paul and, and, you know, uh, the apostles in the first century, obviously Jesus, their understanding of the spirit was, they, they viewed the spirit as such a powerful experiential thing, you know, such a powerful force. And they understood what the role of the spirit was. And, and, you know, they go all the way back to Genesis and they, you know, go through the, follow the history of every time they, they witnessed the spirit or, or heard about the spirit, read about the spirit. They had a, a huge expectation for what the spirit was trying to do. Right. So for Paul, a human being who now has a spirit within them, it would be unthinkable for Paul for that spirit not to have any sort of transformation in their life. It would be unthinkable for Paul, you know, for people to experience the spirit and for nothing to change. And what you, what you see in, in, in the Bible is that the spirit is looking to transform people in an ethical way, right? Like it, it's introducing a godly, godly moral principles, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. That's what ethics are, right? Like moral principles that govern your behavior. You know, in, in the first two chapters of the Bible, you have humans living within God's moral principles. And it wasn't until humans decided to define morality on their own that they fell into sin and all that stuff. And, and man's own morality kind of like, you know, really like ruined everything, right? right. It vandalized everything. So the spirit is trying to bring people back to that, right? So the spirit is trying to re-transform people to live in God's view of what ethics is all about. And, and that has to do with our behavior. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, the expectation when Paul writes, when, when Jesus talks, in the New Testament, we see the expectation is not for the spirit to transform just individuals, but it's for the spirit to transform a community as a whole right? To create a people for God, not just individuals for God. And that's a pattern that you see in the Old Testament where God didn't make a covenant with just one person. God made a covenant with a whole nation, right? God, God made promises for a whole nation. He wanted a whole nation to represent his name. Correct. Uh, so the spirit, the spirit's role in all of this, the effect that it's having, it is it's trans transforming entire communities, communities of believers to, to be transformed ethically, you know, and, and then they go into, you know, Paul goes into, you know, in much detail about what this ethic transformation actually looks like. Right. But it's redefining what ethics are, but it's supposed to, you know, change our behavior completely. Um, right. Well, is that making sense? No, it does. And, and I do think, um, again, just for the sake of people's overall understanding. And, I, and again, I think this is an idea that is sort of lost in us, like modern Christians. Our our society is very, very individualistic, right? Yeah. And because of that, I think we term we tend to to frame Christianity around the individual, right? 
But the thing is, is like biblically speaking, both for the Old Testament and for the New Testament, almost everything happens in the context of a community. Like you were saying, Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. That blessing in the New Testament now is the church. Right. Right? Like the church is supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And like you were saying, and even even from a um, from a perception standpoint, like what is more impressive, right? If you have like one person becoming going from being bad to being good or if you have like a group of people being transformed from being bad to being good like what right what is more a testament of the power of god if you just have one individual exactly. doing it or if you have like a horde of people doing it and i yeah. think part of what you're talking about is that is that the very much the power of the spirit is supposed to be a communal one and sort of the transformation of the spirit its greatest expression is supposed to happen in the context of a community of people who've come to believe in Christ right and, and that mindset understanding that this is what the spirit is trying to achieve really changes uh, it, it should really have an impact at the individual level because if I understand that the spirit is trying to make a people of God holy and not just me holy. I am no longer just worried about uh, my walk with God and, and, and my ability to walk by the Spirit, but I'm also really mindful about how the rest of my community is doing that. My yeah. brothers and sisters, how are they walking in their walk with God, right? It, it really builds a concern. And your goal is to glorify God and uphold righteousness in this world, not only in your own life, but in the life of all the other believers, because you guys all together as a whole are one representation of Christ, right? So it really changes how you live your Christianity and knowing what the Spirit is trying to accomplish yes. in that way. Right. No, oftentimes, man, is... that's a, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that oftentimes it's such a huge issue in the churches, right, where, where sin creeps into the church, and sin isn't fully dealt with because you have people who are just concerned about themselves and they see sin and they're like, well, that brother's got to figure some things out. But, you know, I'm focused on me, right, you know, or maybe we me. don't or, or maybe we don't see sin because we're not looking for sin. But it really changes everything. If, if your mindset is now about like, man, I am now part of a people of God who are representing God, like for sin to creep in, in someone else's life is essentially sin creeping in my life because I am part of that body. Um, and it affects all of us. And more than anything, it affects God because that is the point of being a people of God is to glorify God. Um, so anyway, yeah. Right. And even just to, um, to add to what you're saying, right? Like I think even if, I mean, this whole idea of, of the spirit in the community makes so much sense, biblically speaking, that even when you look at uh, the gifts that the Spirit is supposed to give us, right? Right. Who's ultimately supposed to benefit from those gifts right. is the community. Exactly. Like our gifts are meant to be for the good of the community. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. He talk, Well, in both letters to the Corinthians, he talks about that in Philippians. 
everywhere that he that that talks about All that in Romans, you know, everywhere yeah. that he talks about the way that that the spirit uh, gifts us in a sense, he's really talking about in, in that ultimately that gift is supposed to benefit the church. It's not Absolutely. just for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of the church. And in fact, if we're not using it for the benefit of the church, we're, we're in a sense misusing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the most uh, thorough chapters that talk about how the, the spirit is, how the spirit is supposed to transform the individual and the community are in Romans chapter 12 through 14. Right. And he gets very specific about what the expectations are in the spirit transforming your life. And he uses that as kind of like a like a like a standard. Like if your life is not being transformed this way, like you're arguably not being you're not you're not walking by the spirit, meaning the spirit is not having a powerful impact in your life. Right. And, and he lays out like what it looks like for people to be transformed by the spirit, for entire communities to be transformed. Um like th those are passages that are very important to to read and even set as our personal standard of what ethics really looks like uh, in the spirit. In Galatians chapter five, obviously, it's one of them where he focuses more on what it means to live according to the flesh and not the spirit. Right. right. Uh, so he gives both per both perspectives. It's like if you live this way, then you're not living by the spirit. If you're not being transformed this way, then you're not living by the spirit. Right. Yeah. No, this has been awesome, man. This has been a a really good discussion on the spirit. And then really, I think one of the, again, like in, I think it's important for, for me to drive this home again is, is we tend to, to sort of, um, fracture and disconnect a few things. One is the spirit in the old Testament and the new Testament and another one, I think, is, like, we tend to separate all these things. And I think, like, the Spirit is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New. The Spirit is is part of the kingdom of God in a spiritual realm. But at the same time, it's supposed to aid us in this world, right? And, yes, the Spirit comes upon us as individuals. But at the same time, it's also part of the church. It's also part of the community, and I think we we can benefit so much more from the Spirit and from our understanding and even from our reading of the Bible and the understanding that the, the Spirit plays in our lives when we understand these concepts as they should be and is, is keeping yeah. all of these things in mind. Yeah. You know, let, let me, you know, let me say one more thing regarding this, this uh, uh, with what we've been talking about. And how the spirit is supposed to transform us. You know, I think a quick misconception can take place when we look at how the spirit is supposed to be transforming us, right? And if we don't see it, we can just assume, like, my goodness, like, I'm not walking by the spirit, therefore I don't have the spirit within me. Or when sin comes in, you know what I'm saying? And, and we can think that, like, the spirit is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know, Paul fully expects a transformation because he knows the power of the spirit. But what Paul also doesn't expect, and when he lays out these lists, he doesn't expect people to go ahead and accomplish these things. And if they accomplish these things, then they will earn salvation or anything like that. Like, part of the role of the Spirit is to, to remove the burden from us of mm. having to earn our salvation. 
right? Like the transformation is a fruit of the spirit. The transformation is not a requirement for the spirit. That's so important to understand because we can really burden ourselves to thinking that we have to live a certain way in order to be saved. He talks about like the spirit being, you know, our deposit, our, our you know, our seal for a reason. He's saying like, you are saved. Right. You don't have to be worried all the time, you know, because you are not perfect. You don't have to be worried all the time that the spirit is not transforming. Like the fruit of the spirit will take place in time. As long as you align your way of thinking with repentance, with the spirit, those things will take place and you will be transformed. Right. But you don't have to worry that, you know, your salvation is always at stake. Like it really removes that burden. You know, Jesus says it perfectly. You know, he says, you know, my yoke is light and easy because the spirit does the heavy work. The, the spirit is what makes you righteous. You don't make yourself righteous. Right. All these things. Um, that's such an important concept to understand, yeah. you know, that's, it's part of the hopeful aspect of the spirit. Right. And um, you know, even uh, mentioning you, that scripture where Jesus says like, my yoke is easy. He says that, um, sort of in contrast to the burden that the Pharisees placed on people, which exactly. was very much, uh, driven by performance and how, how Absolutely. much you stuck to all of these things. So, so yeah, yeah man, like that's a super encouraging thought. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting balance balance for sure. And we have to be careful with not leaning one way or the other because Paul, again, he has a full expectation that if you have the Spirit, you will be transformed, right? Full expectation. Right. But by no means does he expect your works to be the reason for why you are saved, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so he wants people to be convinced that, like, now I have to live for Christ because of what he's done and because I understand what the spirit is trying to do with me. But at the same time, man, not be burdened by our imperfections. Like we are saved and in, in, in God's eyes, we are perfectly righteous and purified. And that's the spirit's doing, by the way, you know, that's what the spirit does in our lives. Right. So. Well, amen, man. Hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, just to close us out, hopefully people have found both this enlightening and encouraging and uh, once again, Johnny, I want to thank you just for being uh, here with us and talking about this. And, and really, um, I think in, in many ways, I hope one of the things that we really try to do is sort of bring a lot of this stuff home and talk about how it affects us and how it affects our our view of of the world and a view of the church and all that stuff. And hopefully we've accomplished that. Again, I want to thank you so much for being on with us. And uh, hopefully everybody's enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we do want to remind you that this is a crowdfunded effort, and we appreciate your support. If you do uh, want to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash EtherMMC, and you can uh, be in touch with us and be in touch with everything that we do through social media at EtherMMC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, uh, again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.